as we look into God's Word. So much of our focus today, kind Father, has been directed at your Son, and we recognize that in Christ everything is different, that in Christ all of history changed, that in Christ there's forgiveness and there is in healing. There is healing, and so we we bow now and we invite you to do your work and to do it in a way that brings glory to you, that brings honor to you, that all the focus would be on you. And as we consider your word now, we pray by your spirit that you'd speak into our life. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of John. John is the fourth book in the New Testament. It's one of the stories, one of the biographies of the life of Jesus. And we're going to read together from John chapter 5. It's one of many stories in the scriptures, in the gospels that talk about Jesus healing people. But all through the Bible, in the old and in the new, God heals people in, uh, in a variety of ways. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And as I, as I read this, I remind you that this is the word of the Lord. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who had been an invalid for 38 years was laying there. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred while I am trying to get in. Someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, in a very declarative way, he said, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews, this is the religious establishment of that area, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. Now, I've said this before, but in that time, the religious people had brought together and created a list of in excess of 600 laws. And in their mind, if you carried these things out religiously, this would somehow make you acceptable to holy God. And so they're more concerned, and this is very sad, they're, very, they're more concerned about the fact that this guy seemingly is breaking one of their man-made laws of carrying this mat than the fact that God has miraculously healed this guy and released this guy after 38 years. There's a lesson in that for us, isn't there? And it says, so he says this to them. They say this to him, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But the man replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who's this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. 
Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. It was Jesus who had made him well. And so this morning, we're going to have a time where people can be prayed for, for healing, and we believe that it's Jesus that makes a person well. We believe from Scripture, and we've talked about this many times, but it's based out of the atoning work, the work of Jesus on the cross, and that he is able to provide for every mean person's, uh, person's every need very holistically, whether it's a physical need or an emotional need or a psychological need or a spiritual need, healing is available in Christ. Do you want to get well? Uh, God is the healer very clearly in Scripture. This is first um, very clearly mentioned in the second book of the Bible in Exodus chapter 15, where God declares, I am the Lord who heals you. And then all through the Old Testament and through the New Testament and right up to this day, we see God at work in healing. And in the scriptures, even though he is the source of healing, he does it in a variety of ways. He doesn't get put into a little set of boundaries where it has to be a certain words or in a certain way. And one of the ways that he goes about it is described in James chapter 5, one of the latter books of the New Testament. And that is what we are going to be practicing today. And so there's healing stations set up around the, the ground floor here in the sanctuary. And uh, we're going to be practicing the teaching of James chapter 5. And we do this typically a couple of times a year where we have a healing service like this. But all through the year, uh, we pray for people for healing on an ongoing basis as they come to us. And so sometimes it's done in here or in the lobby or in an office or in somebody's home or whatever. People come and say, I need help. Would you pray for me? And we're honored to do that. So I don't know the exact reason why this gentleman was an invalid. It would be just a, sort of a guess if I was to say that. But there can be a number of reasons why a person is limited or sick or have a need in their life. So let me just, and we see these things illustrated in the scriptures and over the years we've talked about these different things. Let me run through them very quickly. There's a number of reasons why a person can be sick or limited in some way. And one of them is the issue of sin. Not the only one, but one of them. That there's, say, an unrepentant, long-term, ongoing uh, issue of sin in that person's life. And this can be the foundational reason for why they're ill. Don't ever believe anyone that says to you the only reason a person can be sick is because of sin. That's clearly not in keeping with Scripture. But it can be one of the reasons. And we're told this, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where there's some sinful things going on there in that text. And we're told very directly in the text that this is the reason that some of you are sick and, in fact, some of you have died because of unrepentant, ongoing, habitual sin. But that's only one of the reasons. There's many others. Sometimes people are sick simply because of an accident. They slip on the ice and they fall and they break their ankle or something like that. Sometimes it's because someone else has done something inappropriate to them. And so it's not their fault at all. 
Maybe they've been abused or hurt or, or traumatized in some way, and it's not their fault. Someone has done this to them, and this, they're having to live with the consequences of this. Sometimes it's just simply because a person is getting older. And as a person gets older, with advancing age becomes more limitations physically, obviously. Sometimes it's simply not because we've made sinful choices, but just a foolish choice. And as a result of a foolish choice, we're incapacitated in some way. Sometimes it's because people knowingly and deliberately abuse their bodies. And so an illness or a limitation comes into their life as a direct result of that. Sometimes it's a demonic attachment because they've given ground in an area of their life and invited the evil one, in a sense, to work in that part of their life where perhaps someone has put a curse against them that needs to be broken in Jesus' name. Sometimes it's simply for God's glory. In John chapter 9, for example, the the disciples, Jesus' leadership team, said to Jesus, there's this blind guy here. Why is he blind? Is it because he did something sinful or his parents did something sinful, a generational thing? And Jesus said, neither. He's simply that way because he's going to be healed today, and this is so that God's glory can be revealed. So sometimes God will do that. Sometimes a simple blood test will just show from the doctor that there's some kind of a chemical imbalance in your body and and maybe something needs to be added or subtracted from your diet. Or sometimes an infection has been inadvertently introduced into your life in some way and it's not your fault but it just happened and that person needs healing. Sometimes a person is born with a physical limitation. Maybe they can't hear at birth or they can't see and they're asking God for healing. Divine healing can be and is available in all of those cases. Now, as I always say when I speak on this, this is a big subject in Scripture. So we're not going to cover it all. So don't go, well, well, Scott, what about this? We're going to try to look at something fairly specific today. But over the course of years, we've looked at this fairly comprehensively. So let's just take the passage and look at some of the things that this particular passage gives us. So at one of the gates to around the wall of what's now old Jerusalem is called the Sheep Gate, and and close to that is a place called Bethsaida. And there's a bunch of people here in John chapter 5 that need healing. And they're laying there, and obviously something miraculous is taking place. I'm not going to take time to speculate about what that might be. But Jesus comes to this place, and he selects one guy from the crowd. And this is significant to me. He doesn't go, and I'm not going to go into all the reasons why, but he doesn't come and heal everyone there. In fact, Jesus didn't come and heal everybody in the nation of Israel as he traveled around in the north country and in the south and on the other side of the Jordan River into what we would now consider a modern-day the country of Jordan. He didn't heal everybody, but he did listen carefully to his father's directions, and then he would go, and in light of that, he would bring healing in people's lives. And this is one of the things we will do today as we're praying for people. Those that are praying are going to seek to hear from from Jesus and say, what would you have us do? How would you have us pray? And then we will seek to be obedient to that leading. And so we're going to pray in a discerning way. In my own life, for example, just to give you an illustration, 
about two weeks ago, I was riding in a car with my friend Doug. He's one of my best friends. And I asked Doug to pray for me. And he prayed for me for a while. And there was gaps in where it was just silent. And so sometimes when you're being prayed for, it'll just be quiet. Because the people that are praying, and this is what Doug was doing, he was discerning and he was just saying, Jesus, how do you want me to pray for Scott? And then some very specific things came out during that time as we were driving. So in this case, Jesus approaches this guy who's been uh, physically disabled for 38 years. We don't know the exact nature of this, but, but in some way it really limited his mobility and it was difficult for him to move around. We don't know specifically um, why he's in this condition. But Jesus, in verse 6, asks him this very curious question. He says, do you want to get well. And we're thinking to ourselves, well, of course he does. What are you talking about, Dixon? He's been an invalid for 38 years. Absolutely, there's no question this guy wants to get healed. Who can imagine a scenario where he wouldn't want to get healed? So why did Jesus ask that question? Most people want to get well. Most, the vast bulk of people. So they can carry on with life as they would hope to carry it on with it. But not everyone does. Because some people are saying, I'm not willing to open my life up for God to step into my life and make some adjustments that often come with his work in my life. I'm not willing to do that. I'd rather uh, live with what I have. And so in a few people's lives, not everybody, but a few people's lives, sickness can actually steal the place of God in a person's life. And it, become, it becomes the sick person's center. And they build their whole life around not being whole. And after a period of perhaps initial adjustment, some people even welcome the sickness. Some people even secretly like being sick. Because they'd rather have that sore arm or um, infected ear or whatever than let God work very clearly and directionally in their life. Do you want to get well? You know, like, why would someone secretly not want to get well? Well, I can think of a number of reasons. Because getting well might mean making changes in their life they don't want to make. You know, you're saying, you mean, you mean I would have to humble myself? I don't want to do that. You see, that's why it says in James chapter 5, if any one of you is sick, go to the spiritual leaders in the church and have them anoint you and pray for you. In other words, it's a humbling thing to go and to say, um, I need help. Would you pray for me? And so if you were to come to be prayed for this morning, um, even though it's a very private thing, although it's done out in the open like this, and I'll explain about that later, it's a humbling thing to come and say, um, would you pray for me? Some people are just not willing to do that. Some people, you know, might say, God might want me to forgive that person. Are you kidding me? I don't want to forgive them. Not a chance. And if he wants to talk to me about that in, in, in cooperation with healing whatever it is needs to be healed, I'm not interested. 
Some people say, you mean God would want me to start making some different choices in this area in my life? Not a chance. You mean God might want me to actually listen to the doctor's wise medical advice? I don't want to do that. I don't want to surrender. I don't want to yield. I don't want to listen. It could be that God is not healed because he knows that if he did heal that person of this particular ailment, very soon they would be in the exact set, say, same set of circumstances because of the choices that are making that are directly leading to that sickness. And they're not willing to address those choices. And so God says, first of all, I want you to make the decision to say, yeah, I'm willing to be shaped by God. You know, here's the thing that's really cool. Whenever God asks us to do something, he never, ever expects us to do it alone. He says, I'll help you. I will help you. Because, in fact, you can't do it on your own. I will help you. But then I will heal you. Do you want to get well? Not everybody does. Some people don't want to get well because they enjoy being the center of attention. They enjoy being cared for and catered to. They don't want to relinquish the unique status that being sick or suffering sort of bestows on them. They don't want to be like everyone else. They don't want to take up their everyday responsibilities of being healthy. You know, if God were to heal me, then I'd be expected to pitch in, and I don't want to. And I don't know this for sure, like this is just a guess, but, but maybe, who knows for sure with this guy here in chapter 5, maybe part of that was going on in his life. I don't know. You know, I don't want to have to work and pay taxes like everyone else. I don't want to, which is very common in that culture, listen to my parents about who I'd have to marry then if I wasn't an invalid anymore and then carry on the domestic responsibilities inherent in that. And I don't like the person they've chosen. I don't want to build a house. I don't want to fix the roof when it leaks. Whatever the case may be, I'd rather just lay here on my mat. And again, I'm not talking about everybody here, eh? but there are some. Do you want to get well? And so when it comes to healing, God may want to process some things in us. And the most obvious thing to us may certainly not be God's top priority for us. And so from God's perspective, processing all of this stuff is more important than healing, you know, whatever it is. God's right arm's not working right, or, you know, his, his big toe is swollen and infected. And it's, it's great that he, you know, wonderful if he was to, to heal this, but more important is what he first wants to do in my life. And as you often hear me say, if you read the book from cover to cover, if you know history, you know God has some priorities for us that are his top priorities. We see this, for example, in the Ten Commandments. The first thing is he wants us to acknowledge that he's God, and there is no other God's. Well, that's a big woo in our culture right now. That he wants to be absolutely first in our life, bar none. 
that at the heart of all history is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That everything in history prior to that pointed to that moment. Everything subsequent points back to that moment where Jesus came and made provision for the lostness of every single human being that ever has or ever will be. That it only comes and it, it really only comes based on nothing I do but only on what Jesus did for me on the cross. So I acknowledge my sin, that I am a sinner, And these are all tough things for us to do. I have done sinful things. I can't deal with that in my own way, in my own strength. I can't buy my way out of this. I can't work my way out of this. I can only say, Jesus, forgive me. Receive him as Savior. Receive him as Lord. And then be, be filled with the Spirit. Lead a holy life. And then a life that's demonstrably different in a progressive way after that. A life that's holy, a life of service. You know, in Luke chapter 15, um, we're told (laughs) that there's a cosmic celebration. You've heard me say this before. There's a cosmic, there's a huge party in heaven. And you know what the party's for? It says all all the angels are partying in heaven when one sinner repents. Not when Scott's arm or big toe gets healed. And again, that's great stuff. It's really good. It's important. It's an incredible gift from God that he likes to do for... He's a good father, it says in Luke chapter 11, who likes to give good gifts. It says in Luke 11. He likes to give good gifts. But when the party really happens is when a repent, person repents, comes to Christ. So that's top priority for God. So notice how that after Jesus heals this dude, it, he melts off into the crowd because the religious people are about to make a deal of all this. And so he doesn't want to distract from the key message. So he melts off into the crowd. And then in verse 14, notice what he says. He bumps into this guy again at the temple. And he says to him, see, you are well again. In other words, this hasn't always been part of his life. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. So we don't know what all is going on here, but there's more going on than immediately meets the eye. And Jesus is saying, it's awesome that you're healed, that you're no longer an invalid, but more important than that is your relationship with God. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And so there's this hierarchy of priorities in God's life. And so divine discipline, and again, that may be what was going on in this guy's life, I don't know. But as you often hear me say, God loves us too much to allow us to continue in self-destructive patterns in life. And he'll do whatever he has to to get our attention. And he much prefers if we just voluntarily comply, if we just voluntarily say, I know your way is the best way, I know that it's the the best way to do life, and I willingly surrender, I willingly volunteer to you. But we often get stubborn. I don't, maybe you don't, but I do. You often get stubborn. And he says, I love you, I love you way too much, Scott, to not progressively and sort of incrementally Increase the pressure till you get the message. So how does this play out in what we're going to do this morning? If you come to be anointed and prayed for for healing, and the people that are doing this are 
our elders and prayer leaders and, and spiritually gifted people, they're totally on board with God healing you. They're cheering for you. They want this to happen. They're going to ask in a, in a declarative way that God would do this. And so what I mean by that, when I say in a declarative way, just like Jesus said here, he just says very declaratively there in verse 8, get up, pick up your mat and walk. They're not going to do it in an arrogant way or a pushy way or a demanding way. Because they understand fundamentally that God, as we always say, he decide, he's sovereign. He decides how and when this all plays out. But they're going to pray, say, I know Jesus can do this. And I would ask based on the cross uh, where he dealt with our sin and death issues that you would bring healing. But praying as they do, understanding that God's top priority for us is that we would know God and be in a healthy, developing relationship with Him. And so they're going to ask you at least one question, but maybe several questions. And the one question will be, how can we specifically, and as specifically as possible, how can we specifically pray for you so they can really hone their prayers in on what needs to be dealt with? God's not a vague God. He's very specific. How can we specifically pray for you? And then we just give these spiritual leaders full freedom to ask other questions. And just say, Jesus, we're listening, and, and uh, I'm just going to ask, I might ask this, or I might ask that, or they might ask nothing. But it might be something like this. Do you know, uh, do you know what the particular thing is that's sort of at the root of what you're dealing with, this symptom now? What was at the root of this? Um, they might ask, have you followed your doctor's orders? They might ask, like Doug did. So Doug and I are driving towards Cochrane, and he's discerning, and then he turns to me, and he's, I don't think he's ever asked me this question before. Maybe he has, but I can't remember when he's prayed for me. And, and he said, is it possible that back in April someone pronounced a curse over you? And I said, I don't know. I have no direct knowledge, but... He prayed, I prayed, just in Jesus' name, breaking the power of any curse that might have been at the root that someone prayed over me. I broke it in Jesus' name. And my friend Doug has, you know, he's been involved um, either directly or indirectly with more than a thousand people being healed as he's prayed. And again, God's the one doing the healing. It's not because Doug's some special guy. He's just a guy like you or me. And so they might ask you some questions. They might ask you just one question. How can we specifically pray? But we're asking God to lead and discern and help us know how to pray. And so what happens is, is that just like in this passage here, sometimes God just heals supernaturally like he did in this passage, very declaratively. Pick up your mat and walk and boom, it happens. And God makes what um, would appear to be impossible to the human eye possible. And I've seen him do that. I have. I've seen him heal people in just that manner. And he did it in the Old Testament. He did it in the New Testament. Did it in the early church. And still does it today. But sometimes he, he does it right away. Sometimes he does it over time. Most often in my experiences, he does it through the good gift of medicine. And even, you know, many medical personnel would acknowledge this, but some clearly wouldn't. Ultimately, Scripture teaches that all of that comes as a good gift from God. The ability to 
understand how the body works and to garner knowledge and proper application of that and then to create medicines that specifically deal with issues. Ultimately, all a gift from a good God that loves to give good gifts to his children. As you've often heard me say, uh, my understanding would be that God always heals. Sometimes it's right away. Sometimes it's over time. Some, you know, for example, in this passage here, we sort of see this going on. Because when you read the passage, it appears initially when you first read it that the healing takes place right away, immediately, in a sense. But we also read that he was an invalid for 38 years. And so at the very least, he waited a long time. And I'm guessing here, but just based on the text, I'm guessing based on where he was, where other people had been healed, I'm guessing there's been any number of times in his life where he had asked God to heal him and relieve him of this in the past. So even though it seems to be immediate, there could be this element of a long-term wait as well. And so sometimes as well, God asks us to wait until Resurrection Day. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 that on Resurrection Day, which we were singing about just a few minutes ago, we'll receive uh, glorified bodies, bodies that will have no more pain, uh, no more tears, it says in Scripture, no more darkness, no more sin. And so he may ask us to wait until we die and Resurrection Day comes. Very clearly from Scripture, God is the healer. You know, don't sit in and say, well, I, I have to go and get this person. I have to get the pastor to pray for me because these other guys, they can't do it as well. It doesn't work like that, okay? God's the one doing the healing. So just say, you know, if you feel led to come to be prayed for, just say, where should I go, Lord? Just open up a spot and then just go as, he, as you feel prompted to go. Um, so God's the healer. He loves, as I said from Luke chapter 11, he loves to give good gifts to his children. And so we will pray and believe that he can do this. So who can come to be prayed for? Who can come to be prayed for? Well, anyone is welcome. You could be here and you could say, well, I don't even know if there is a God. Uh, I certainly don't have a relationship with him such as you've described it from a biblical perspective. Uh, could I come? Absolutely. Just understand our perspective as we pray for you, okay? But you are welcome to come. You're welcome to come. But if you're here today and you already know Jesus as your Savior, um, just you're welcome to come whether you have a physical or an emotional or a spiritual issue. We would be honored to pray for you. Sometimes people, and we see this in Bible as well, sometimes people come on behalf of someone. So they come and they say, you know, I've got this loved one, and, and I prayed for someone this morning in the first service that came on behalf of a loved one. Um, so we see this in Scripture. Someone says, well, I don't need healing, but I lost my job. Would you pray? We, we do that all the time. We'd be honored to pray for you. Um, so what will happen is, is there's four stations, two at the front. You see where the papers are, and then two in the back corners here. So there's four different places you can go. You're doing this publicly and yet privately. There'll be a little circle of people, about three people there to pray for you. And they'll put some music on. So even though you're coming in front of people, it's private. No one else will hear it. And the people that are praying for you are not going to talk about this to anyone else. So it's a private thing, really just between you and God. And uh, when they come, when you come, uh, just... You know, like, don't get up so close that the person that's being prayed for, the other person doesn't have privacy, just kind of hang back a little bit, just wait your turn. 
And uh, if you're here and you're not coming forward, but you'd like to stick around and just pray for those involved, please do. We invite you to do that. But if you, it's time to go and you're ready to go, we just invite you to do your visiting out in the lobby and the ushers will close the doors so there's some level of privacy here. So it's a humbling thing to come. Because you're saying, I need help. You're saying, Jesus, what would you like to do in my life? I'm just open. Yeah, my arm hurts, my toe is swollen, whatever. But I'm open to what you have for me. I'm a little afraid, maybe, but I'm open. Do you want to get well? Let's bow in prayer. And then I'm going to invite you to come. Our service will be dismissed after I'm done praying. And if you'd like to come, I invite you to do that. I'm going to ask those that are going to be serving at those stations to go ahead and start moving in that direction so we're ready for people. Let's pray. Father, how grateful we are that you're a loving